Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Fake the Nation, episode 367. Hello, hello. This is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where I admit that, no, I haven't seen Barbenheimer yet. I am your host, Nikki Farsad, and I haven't even planned my Barbie experience. I haven't planned my Oppenheimer experience. I want to see it in an IMAX theater out of respect for the craft. Um, and I haven't gotten tickets. I feel overwhelmed. I feel like I'm already too late. The world has already seen it. Everyone's trying to fucking spoil shit for me. I already know about something about a mink coat. I'm mad. Okay. Now, today, we're not going to talk about the worldwide cultural phenomenon that is Barbenheimer, but we will talk about those people with perfect vacations and how they're making everyone crazy. We'll dip into the crude political world with DeSantis missteps and with Bidenomics. And finally, we'll ask, does your first love shape your life forever? Today's panel, folks, this is an award-winning panel, um, and the awards have been doled out by Fake the Nation. Uh, the <laughs> first award goes to um, just wonderful, wonderful dude is the award that he gets. Um, he's author of the go the book, Go Back to Where You Come From. He's co-host of the podcast Democracy Democracy-ish, which is a podcast I subscribe to that everyone should subscribe to. He's just a phenomenal writer, talker, Fucking, like I said, wonderful dude awarded by Fake the Nation. He is the one and only Wajahad Ali. Hey, Waj. Hey, hey, Nagin. I'm proud to be here, even though it's obvious you hate America because you haven't seen Barbenheimer and, uh, <laughs> and, you're, and, and you're a weak woman for only having one child. But other than that, um, uh huh, yeah. <laughs> other than that, I really, really appreciate being here. Um, thank you so much, Waj. And just like tread carefully because you've gotten the award. Uh, but you can lose the award throughout the course of this one episode. You know what I'm saying? We are not we're not afraid of retracting awards here. As as an award losing author, I will do everything <laughs> I can to be in your good graces. <laughs> okay, and also joining us. Now he's joining us for the first time on this show. But I have had the just distinct pleasure of seeing this man perform live. He's so fucking funny. He's so fuck. Is that right? <laughs> He's so funny. Um, you can actually hear his 
material on Spotify. Uh, you could also read his book. It's called uh, Pardon My Spanglish if you want to read a book. Um, but, I mean, his material is great. If you could see him live, that's what you should do. It is the one and only Bill Santiago. Yay! Um, and Bill, you you won uh, best um, first time uh, guest really? on Fake Nation, and you haven't even done it yet. Oh, that's that's how amazing you are as a stand up comedian. Wow! Yeah, I wish every day were this. Easy. <laughs> you might lose um, it. You, you might, might lose it. I know. Be careful. I'm aware of that. Like, like not, truly, fucking, cursing. be careful, both of you. Um, okay, but before we get into the show, I just want to remind listeners that you can catch. Uh, catch bonus episodes of the pod by subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. The bonus pods are where uh, where the wild things are, if you will. They're just like fun and and um, wacky and uh, everyone just has like a breeze on their shoulders, whatever that means. Um, and so go to patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad and for as little as $4 a month, you can get bonus episodes. Now, some of you have also been enjoying recap pods. We did recaps of Succession. We did recaps of The Bear. Thank you so much to all of you who listened to those. We are going to be doing more recaps um, in the fall and we are taking your suggestions. So if you have recap ideas, I'm all ears. They don't have to be TV shows. They could be movies. Um, so hit me up. Uh, but they probably can't be books because it takes me like one year to read a book. <laughs> it takes me so long. It, it wasn't, it didn't used to be like this. But uh, it's it's with the child, with the one child. Because I only have one, which is something that uh, parents of two and three uh, will never let you forget. Forget Parents of two and three children are like Harvard alums where like when you go into a room with them, they'll be like, oh, you only have one. Well, I have three. Like they always remind you that they always. have three. And, uh, and I'm always like, please shut the fuck up. <laughs> but I love you. All right, here we go. Let's get into the show with topic number one. We read a piece in Vox called Stop Trying to Have the Perfect Vacation, You're Ruining Everyone Else's by Rebecca Jennings. And in the piece, she makes the case that entitlement and endless optimization have turned travel into an unfun blood sport. Now, just from that description, Wodge, does that ring too, true for you? I mean, yes, because I have three kids, uh, as we've already mentioned. I'm one of those. Uh, and as and as a person who has, like, even if you have a child, if you're if, just doing anything, with a young person is difficult, right? Surviving, especially in a post-pandemic America. So the fact that you're telling me that you've manicured a perfect vacation during the time of rising yeah. in income inequality, rising fascism, a post-pandemic world. And then, of course, nothing really happens unless you share it, because if you don't share it, oh, it didn't happen. Yeah. So then what all I say, like I literally sit there and I go, how, 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 how did you have a time to go do this and not become a serial killer? You must not yeah. have children. Yeah. I mean, Bill, where are you on levels of research? Like, you mean on this topic? <laughs> You're like, I didn't even read the article. No, like, uh, like, because I watched the TikTok. That's it. <laughs> part, part of. So, right. So, let's talk about that TikTok. So, basically, this, this article featured a TikTok that was of, um, this American complaining about the Amalfi Coast. And she was just like, yeah, the Amalfi Coast is beautiful, but what they don't tell you is like the logistics of actually getting there. And she wrote like, you know, she talked about how she had to take a flight to wherever and then take a train from that airport to the whatever. And then she had to walk upstairs and, and, uh, and she- 166. Oh, <laughs> 166 stairs. She numbered it. And then she said, this is literal manual labor, not vacation. Um, oh, which is which is in the cap in the caption. I what did you think of that? Video? I thought that was she had the fantastic, the perfect vacation. I know. <laughs> That's what vacations are about. You gotta live to tell the horror story. Yes. No one wants Bill's to character. About your perfect vacation. No, if, totally. if you if you haven't been medevac to an emergency room, then you know you haven't gotten your money's worth. She, this is fantastic stuff that she's putting out there. I mean, <laughs> she was so mad. It's so funny because, and here's the thing, I think 
like you have to embrace the process. Mm. The problem of it. And, and, the horror, and yeah, the torture. And because also there's like these little interesting things. And I, I may have mentioned this, but I've been chasing. There was a slice that I ate at the Milan fucking train station. And and I've mentioned it on this podcast before. I love this slice of pizza so much. And it was part of the irritating, let's say, if you want to call it that, travel between towns and whatever and getting to a thing because it wasn't easy to get to the blah, blah, blah. You know, but then I had like the best pizza of my entire life in this train station or whatever. And you just have to embrace like these little, you know, I remember like in Romania having to, there were part of the train tracks were broken. So then you, they would take, they got us off a train. We had to walk through dirt and then get on to another train after the broken track. So they were, that's how they handled the problem was just like, they didn't fix it. They just were like forever. We have two trains now, one that goes to the broken part and then one that picks you up from the broken part, you know? And it's like, that's fucking cool to me. I don't know, you know? I just think that, uh, you know, complaining about it is definitely a, 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 an American thing. I was in uh, uh, I was in Cuba once and we were traveling to the country on some bus and it was really dark. And on top of some mountains, the bus broke down, just broke down. Yeah. And nobody asked a question for like six hours. <laughs> no one even quit. Like, they just sat there in the dark. No one said anything. And then the bus driver left. <sighs> No one, no one asked where he went. <laughs> and when he came back, he came back with like a wrench six hours later. And then, and then oh, he asked, he that. asked, who, who wants to get off the bus to help us push to get it started? And nobody yelped about it. Yeah, nobody yeah, tweeted. Yeah, Everyone that. just totally accepted it. And uh, I mean, it, obviously, it's just the part of getting across the island. You know, we can talk about their internet inter infrastructure in Cuba at another time. Um, recognize that that's a problem before I start getting like hate mail about this. But um, I, 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 but I see the point you're making, which is just sort of like these are the things that. And they happen. It's fine. Um, and, and, and also, yeah. and also, in all seriousness, what it, it separates those people who truly want to understand how most people live, right? If you're if you're a traveler, if you're lucky enough to travel, and most Americans haven't even used their passports, right? So, do you want to be that obnoxious person who goes as a tourist and comes back after you're manicuring your perfect like life, or do you want to actually like be a worldly global person who sees and understands how people live? And I think if you have that experience filled with challenges and hardships and you're like, oh, wow, I'm in Nepal as I was and I'm in a five star hotel in a village where let's just say the five star hotel was a one star hotel. But for the people yeah. who were there, they were like, I literally I, I talked to this guy one time. He says, I live in the jungle. No one's ever seen a computer before. This is amazing. And so yeah. here we are in this like one star hotel that is a five star hotel with basic amenities, but like. The fact that I'm I'm with these people who who for them this is like the greatest experience of their life and you're like wow this is how a vast majority of humanity lives and you just get stories right. and it builds character and it makes you like a less of a douchebag. I mean, I think part of the problem with this episode is that the three of us appear to be of not totally American org origins. <laughs> <laughs> and so, am I right, Bill? You Puerto Ricans are technically Americans, but uh, I get your point. Okay, I mean, how American though? Pretty, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. It's um, 1898. <laughs> but 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 the idea being, we're just a little maybe more comfortable with like these other like experiences, right? With other like living standards and whatever. But the other thing that this article brought up are now the people that are really ruining vacation are the people that make the spreadsheets and the intricate decks and the and they post all of their things on various apps and you you know and they you can follow the pins of other people's itineraries so that it so that you end up going to the best lobster place in Maine and then the best blah 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 and so then everyone finds out the same list and goes to the same thing now where are you guys when it comes to list traveling I would never do it you just like how do you find the places you're gonna go to when you go uh, random okay you just like happen into I it. just go yeah 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 that's I mean I do 
I would say I do a, a hybrid because of the very reason that it's a no. I find I found it over the years annoying to to just end up at the same places that everyone ends up at, you know. And then there's an annoying thing where you come back from that place and they go, "Did you try the blah blah blah? It's the best blah 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 in blah blah blah, right?" And guys, some I of my best speak friends professionally. are from blah blah blah. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> and then you go, "No, I didn't try that one thing. That's apparently the best thing that I should have tried, right? Because I was a little bit more random with the way that I ate things or experienced things. Um, so it kind of cuts both ways. But but I also, fi- you know, I I do find it annoying that uh, we've we've listified mm. all of our travel experiences. Um, have you? Have you encountered this feeling? We, you, well, we, we also listify life, right? So it's all about like constant productivity and you need a bucket list and you need a list of self-improvement and you need a list to do another list. And if you haven't fulfilled the list, like you're a failure, right? So it's one of the situations where Americans are like just obsessed about like improving yourself, being better. Don't waste time. Don't chill. And, yeah. and if you have the luxury of going to another country, sometimes going back to the first point, to really absorb the country and the people, sometimes you just take a walk. You take yeah. a walk and you talk to people and you do your research there and you say, hey, all the tourists are going to this five-star restaurant and, and then usually the locals are like, dude, that's a piece of shit restaurant. Let me tell you where you get the best kebab. Yeah, uh, yeah. Take a left by the cart, then go straight. Then there's a dirt road, take a right. Then if you survive crossing the bridge, you'll have the best kebabs of your life. And yeah. if you're willing to go on that adventure, you're like, holy shit, this was the best kebab. Let me post it on Instagram. Yeah. I have like, I have like, I think I've gotten to the point where I don't feel, I mean, I've posted some vacation-y things, but I don't know. There's an awful lot of people who are just not interested in the kinds of vacations you're talking about. They don't want to explore. They don't really want to get embedded with other people's cultures. They don't want the experience of living in another country. That's why all Mm. those cruise ships are so popular. You have, oh, right. you have thousands you don't have of to people yeah, you don't have going to from port to port to port yeah. to specifically not find out what that country's about. It was actually really depressing to me in this article. They they interviewed Rick Steves for the article, and he's like the OG of travel fucking whatever. You know, he has that PBS show. What's it called? I think it's literally called Rick Steves Europe or Rick Steves, you know, South America or something. And... Uh, and he was like depressed because he was like, when I started doing this, there wasn't anyone doing this. So it's like I would just go and say, here's like, the you know, the five general things about this place. And no one no one knew. And now here's my question. The problem is, if we want to call it a problem, is the democratization of travel. Now it's accessible to middle class people, which is great because now people, I mean, you know, like me, uh, you know, what what. what Whatever the middle class definition is, I don't know. But like regular people can travel, which is obviously better. It shouldn't be an elite sport. Um, But at the same time, it then creates volume that places can't handle. And then it creates really annoying TikTok videos like the one we described. So where do you stand on the idea of the democratization of travel? Well, first of all, Rick is complaining because he's losing market share. You know, he's not, he's no longer the list master. <laughs> he, he is not. Travel is not accessible to everybody. It's accessible to more people, but there's still an awful lot of people who go nowhere anytime because it just costs too much money. Yep. You know, yep. you, you, you got to not just pay for the travel. You got to pay for whoever's going to like care for the kids if you're not bringing them along right. I or mean, the this dog is a, or whatever. I don't think they were making the case that it's more accessible to working class people, but it is more accessible to middle class people. In a way that it didn't used to be, I think. Well, even like the the, uh, 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 the, the, the Wright brothers could not have imagined what their industry uh, would turn yeah, into. no. You know, when they were flying their little uh, contraption over uh No, uh, they ca- couldn't have pictured fairs. the Hard Rock Cafe. They, that... But they couldn't have pictured what a horrific experience it would turn into that you're Very trapped well. in this aluminum tube at 40,000 feet. You got to take off your shoes. You can't wait to get off. It's a completely uh, dehumanizing experience. And now that is the part 
of the travel that people don't want to uh, put up with. They actually, there's no other way to get there, and they complain about it because it's so awful that just getting there safely is no longer enough. Well, you, what you're saying, right? Even though it's we have more options, it's a reflection of the 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 increasing polarization of the country where the rich have gotten richer, and if you can afford it, which less people can. I remember I just I got this free uh, first class ticket just like because I was giving a speech last week. And I always tell people that if most Americans like experience first class, if they actually knew how first class people traveled, I, I think the country would burn down to the ground. I think like the next day there would be like mass <laughs> riots. Like people yeah. don't know. Right. Because people think they're rich in this country, but they're poor. It's like that part of the American dream. I'm doing well. Actually, you're in the bottom 25 percent. I am. So I feel like one of those situations where like, if all these advances in technology that we have, but there was more equitable and people were like were able to travel in a way where they didn't feel like they were like human cargo, uh, it'd be one of the situations that number one, if it was more affordable and better quality, more people travel. Because again, most Americans have never used their passport. Most Americans have never gone anywhere. They don't go to Canada, they go to Mexico. And the second thing is, I think going back to the, the, the kind of theme that we have is they would have some extra money to then just spend time <laughs> in the place that they're at. Instead of just being an Instagram tourist, if you will. My bit of, you know, I've said this before, but I'm a, just a fan of like, don't take photos anywhere you, when you go. Don't take any photos. Oh, I couldn't do that. Don't take, I don't know, take a, buy a point and click so that the photos, these are, I haven't taken my own advice on this. So that the photo is like a thing you're doing on purpose. You know what I mean? It's not like a mindless, I'm always taking photos thing. I don't know. Folks, Nagin, we, let's men need purpose. You, you need to <laughs> let us men pretend that we're Federico Fellini. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh my God! Do you know how many photos I took just today on the way over here? I mean, literally, why? No one used to watch the video, by the way, guys. No one watched the video afterwards. <laughs> no, I know. No one. No, exactly. Um, all right, folks, we're going to take a quick break to learn about our sponsors. And when we come back, we will get into it with other topics. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I have used Rocket Money. And you guys, honestly, I had no idea how many things I was subscribing to that I didn't want to be subscribing to. I think we all go into, we enter into subscriptions with a Pollyanna view that we're going to use as a subscription, even though it's a super obscure, you know, education app from Albania that uh, teaches Russian math or whatever. And then you're like, I'm never going to use this. Why did I get it? I should remember to cancel it. And then you don't. And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help. Because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you with a click of a button. It's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I mean, tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, so stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And 
we are back and let's get into it with topic number two. Let's be gross for a second and talk about Ron DeSantis. And um, <laughs> as I do so, I even wonder if it helps anything, anyone to mention any of this. But alas, Ron DeSantis has doubled down on a campaign stop about an um, assertion uh, that is now being required in Florida middle schools to be um in their instruction that, quote, slaves develop skills, which in some instances would uh, could be applied for their personal benefit. Um, so, you know, Ron DeSantis had like the opportunity to like walk that back or whatever, but he hasn't. He's doubled down on this. <sighs> this, I guess, idea that there is a silver lining to slavery, which is totally insane. Um, <laughs> what, what what do you think of the of the the Ron DeSantis moment. Positive spin is the problem. I mean, technically, they're right. You get you get uh, skills out of uh, any 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 experience. Harriet Tubman developed a lot of skills. Networking, obviously, right. that was a skill that she took away. Yeah. Uh, navigating by, uh, sure. by by stars, yes. uh, uh, throwing uh, dogs off uh, the scent. <laughs> you know, I, I don't I don't know if this is something you want to put on your post emancipation. I don't even resume. Know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know what oh the spin God. is at the schools. I, I don't really understand. Stand, it's but it's a part of right. the Florida Department of Education's work group that they basically the the Stop Woke Act, you know, the DeSantis um, passed in 2022 that wanted to target lessons like white privilege and 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 get them out and, and basically wanted it, the ideas that not to make any of the uh, white students feel guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress um, it, as part of their curriculum uh so that was everything about all of this is so upsetting um let's just uh which i think we all agree it's fucking horrendous where is Ron DeSantis as a candidate? Uh, so so I've said this for about two years, uh, and I wrote an article about it where I call Ron DeSantis a wet noodle. And I said he will he will wilt uh, in the spotlight. Uh, he just doesn't have it. Whatever it is, he doesn't have it. And as we have seen, especially as we're recording this, is that even these Republican donors who tried to make him into a thing like he's like the invisible cola of GOP candidates. And after a while, you're like, bro, he just isn't it. He isn't right. it, right? He likes the charisma, the cruelty of Florida, uh, as evidenced by what you said, the you know, Stop Woke Act, don't say gay, doubling down on slavery as a ha as you know, having benefits. The fact that, you know, now we're seeing finally, finally, they're they're putting a microscope under DeSantis's rule in Florida and they're looking at all the deaths that could have been avoided had these people not attacked science and vaccines, the climate change effect in Florida. It's like a disaster zone. And I believe as a candidate, he will further wilt um, if Trump does die or gets or uh, goes to jail, which I don't think he will. He right now is the number two, but a very, very weak number two. And in addition to the pro-slavery comments, I want to say that this week yeah. he had to let go of one of his social media teams because that social media guy kept posting Nazi content again and again. So it just goes, to, in all seriousness, it goes to show you where the Republican Party is, Nagin, where you're given a meatball down the middle. Hey, just say slavery is bad. And they're like, nope, gotta, 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 gotta I make know. slavery look pretty we good. We gotta both sides it. Um, There's all, also, I, I wanna note that he had to let go of 38 staffers. Was it 38? Um, yeah, 38 oh, staffers. What was, the, what, was the per, what was the percentage? Well, I don't know. I think that you're you're right about the like social media team, but then in, in general, he had to lose 38 staffers. He had like 90 staffers or something. And because he's just like can't control his expenses. Um, and the interesting thing about all this is there's so much about a campaign that says to me nothing about how they're going to govern as a president. Like some mm. parts of campaigning to me feel super ridiculous. Like like the debate stage, it's not, we don't really, that's not really a skill, right, that presidents have to use. It's more like what's happening behind the scenes and how they can um, and make friends and, and negotiate and compromise, all that stuff. Those are all skills we don't get to see on the campaign trail. Mm. But one thing that this does say to me is that like if you can't figure out your expenses... And you can't figure out how to strategically message throughout a campaign in a way that will increase your numbers and not decrease them. Mm. I think you lack 
management skills. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's one thing that we're sort of learning about DeSantis. On top of being a wet noodle that nobody really wants to hear talk, like, he just also doesn't know how to, like, run a thing. And running a thing is literally the job. Running the biggest thing, in fact. It's the job. So it's like, if you can't do that, what's what are we doing? He couldn't stop using private planes to get places. Dude, like, you know, like, that those are expensive. I, 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 I wouldn't count him out just because he's uh, posting uh, uh, Nazi uh, yeah. uh, uh, tweets and stuff like that. But Trump used to do that all the time. That's what helped get him elected. Yeah, yeah. Of course, he's I mean, do more of that. <laughs> no, but, 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 but it doesn't seem to help him. Like, that, he, well, his I mean, the thing is, this, what I'll say is, uh, Bill, uh, yeah, it'll help him, right? In all seriousness, him doubling down on the cruelty and racism will help any candidate, as we've seen with Trump. The more racist he is, the more the base likes him. But to Nagin's point, he just looks incompetent. He looks befuddled. And and he looks like he doesn't have control over his own team. He looks lost. They had to give him advice on how to talk to people at these campaign stops. And I'm like, bro, if you don't know how to even talk to people and pretend that you're listening to them and paying attention to them and they're giving you advice on how to be a human, I don't think this is a job for you. Well, let's quickly um, turn our attention to Bidenomics. It's a term that the that the Biden team is rolling out on the campaign trail, which was originally meant as a bit of an insult from the Wall Street Journal, but they're like reappropriating it, which I think is fun. Um, a couple of things are true about Bidenomics. A ton of economists are downgrading the possibility of a recession. Inflation mm. is down. A service service worker wages have actually outpaced inflation for the first time in forever. Um, so if you're a waitress or a bartender, you're actually earning more than you have. Unemployment is ridiculously low. Also, I don't love talking about GDP because it feels too abstract from actual day-to-day personal economics, but GDP is also doing good. So things are good, but only a third of Americans approve of Biden's handling of the economy and his overall approval rating is at 40 percent. Why, Bill? Why? It has nothing to do with the economy. It's the fact that, you know, OK, maybe he's uh, uh, an inspiration to uh, the uh dementia functional uh community but he just seems a little bit too much of a it's not you you can't i cannot watch him on video for more than 30 seconds it just makes you upset it just makes me not so this doesn't inspire confidence this is like the opposite this is like it's not the economy stupid it's It's not the economy no uh, and it doesn't have to be you know you don't have to worry about gdp just go to the supermarket what's the price of eggs is it over ten dollars for a dozen eggs? Well, I, I mean, it's gone I down think, considerably. I think it's that's gone. Good, yeah. I think right. The the like inflation, like I said, has has like leveled out, but it it doesn't mean everyone feels right. But I think the idea. I mean, I think your point. And again, I don't have a problem looking at watching Biden. For the record, um, he seems like would he you want him be... driving you and your children around anywhere? <laughs> I wouldn't mind him sitting behind a desk and making oh, no, that policy wasn't the decisions. The question is, would you but I don't, let I wouldn't him want, chauffeur for your record, car with you and your children anywhere? I, I mean, I wouldn't want George W. Bush driving me around anywhere in 2004. But like, I, you know what I mean? I don't know. Um, I, that's not the metric for me. It's not the metric for me. What, what do you think about Bidenomics? I think it's a smart pivot. He's doing what Reagan did because there were concerns about Reagan's advanced age. And Reagan, as we found out, unlike Biden, uh, according to most folks knew at that time, he was probably suffering from some form of dementia. Right. Uh, yeah. and, and as far as the stakes, I think the stakes are important. You always have to remind people that we're dealing with a fragile democracy in which Biden Democrats are at the very least trying to defend it and support it versus another really old guy who eats a lot of hamburgers and doesn't know how to like run or or friggin ride a bike named Trump. Right. So like when people look at like Biden's health, I'm like, at least he jogs. I've never seen Trump jog in my life. And with Bidenomics in particular, I think with time, Nagin, like give it five years, six years. I think we're going to look back and say, wow, this guy pulled off a really like it's pretty impressive inflation reduction act infrastructure bill right covid yeah. relief bill uh trying his best uh to 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 help people with student loan workers for the first time in 40 years are flexing ups workers for, had this big victory yesterday in in light of the fact that we literally have a republican party that supports an insurrection right and we have like literally zero help from republicans in the house and senate so the fact that he's been able to do all this I think will help him make the case in 2024. 
And you're not going to win over MAGA, but if you can win over enough independents and especially make the case as compared to the other guy, freaking Donald Trump and and the, the team that's pro-slavery, uh, I'll take my chances with the old guy Biden driving. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think that's an excellent point. I also think part of the problem I actually wrote and um, my column about this, you not did. to promote my own column in Progressive Even Magazine. Even though you just did, and it's okay. But folks, check out my column. The title is Everything Sucks But Everything Is Fine um, in my column, Hemming and Hawing in the, in progress, in the Progressive. And in that piece, like, I talk about how the performance of misery, like, we all do this, like, performance of misery. We have a hard time accepting that, like, things are okay. And I understand, and I, before, again, like, if you read the article, I do list the many things that are not okay. But, like, if you are talking, we started doing this thing where, like, you used to be like, how's it going? And you'd be like, "Um, you know, it's going good, thanks. But now we go, oh, I mean, the world's on fire, but whatever, you know. And it's like, is the world really on fire for you, though? We're like at a outdoor summer screening of uh, the League of Super Pets on a lawn in New York City under the stars. So let's talk about how bad our lives really are. So I think most people spend their time doing this like performance of misery when their actual lived experience is pretty decent. And so this is this mismatch is like really infiltrating the way we think about the our political lives. And I'm like, I think I'm just really tired of it i would love for people to sort of like really engage with like are they doing okay well what's your benchmark for okay mm. i mean my <laughs> because honestly i have been legitimately miserable for the past three years the horrible <laughs> horrible things have happened to me to the point i don't even care about the politics i don't have time for that i gotta i got I'm, 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 I'm focusing on survival i'm focusing on whether 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 or not i can get through that subway sure. turnstile okay. if there's enough credit <laughs> On my car to get me through. Or am I going to have to jump into the arms of a transit not, cop to I'm try right. to get to where I'm going? But like I'm, li- I'm not even talking about people. I'm not. I'm not talking about these kind of. I'm not in- saying that there aren't problems that people have on a personal level, but I also think there are plenty of people. Literally, that I'll be at, like I said, an outdoor screening of League of Super Pets with children joyously eating cotton candy. Okay, like, and I'm just talking about what is so fucking bad right now, you know? Um, So these are, I think, I I just, I'm, I'm okay with going back to being like, how you doing? Pretty good, thanks. You know what I mean? Like, I do think that that's okay. It's okay to recognize the good things in life. It doesn't have to be this performance of misery that then trickles into everything we think and do. It's, it's a combination, right? And I also think, Nagin, just based on your, I mean, having talked to you and known you uh, before in the past, just your perspective on life, what you've been through, you're like one of those people who are like, eh, uh, the glass at least has some water in it. Uh, and and it's one of those situations mm-hmm. where for the folks who, who are under like anxiety, as Bill was talking about, we also have to take into consideration like we just barely survived a pandemic. Yeah, I think there's a massive international trauma that we haven't really talked about. Like we were stuck in the home. Uh, and I, I, like I see this especially with teenagers. For three years, we talked about it every day. No, no, but like, you know what I'm saying is if you talk to kids, right, especially in college, this is where I see uh-huh. it affecting people. Kids my age are OK, like young kids, but like kids in college. Uh, like the ones who went through it, right? Like during their yeah. formative years, yeah, like, yeah, they're yeah. like That's dead-eyed, rough. man, That's like rough. traumatized. Yeah. Like So yeah. it's, I'm just saying it's people are going through a lot plus climate change, plus rising fascism, income inequality. It's just a lot. And for some people like you, and I think my, perhaps like me, we could be like, you know what? We've seen worse. We should be grateful. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And other Which people is my, are like, my general what's better than this? This is terrible. What, what am I looking forward to? That's all. That's all I want to say. Right, right. No, I fucking get it. And I'm not trying to shit on everybody. No, but I would also, love some I'm cotton mildly candy. You should have brought some. I, I would love some cotton candy right now. McGee's <laughs> basically shitting on Bill. Like, Bill, how can you be grateful for your life? I'm That's specific- because I made those two kid comments. That's what it was. <laughs> I'm specifically <laughs> shitting on you, Bill. All right, let us move on to topic number three. We read a piece on The Guardian 
Arlene about first love written by Paula Kokoza. And in it, she asked, what is it about our first loves that make them so enduring in our memories? And why can we never let them go? Um, So my first question is this. Do you remember your first love? And like more than do you remember your first love, what qualifies as a first love? Because in the article, the writer talks about a first love that she detailed from when she was 15. To me, that was more of a high school first intense high school crush. Mm. Um, and so I guess my first question is kind of like, what do you categorize as a first love? Um, and do you and and how often do you think about it? That's a good question, because while you were setting it up, my my question was exactly the one you posed. Well, are we looking at the first kiss? First girlfriend, right. first crush, right. like first love. You actually understand what love means and the emotions behind it. But I do. I mean, I don't know about other people, but like, I think it's very pivotal. Right. Uh, I think if you ask like pretty much most boys, uh, they're like they'll know their first kiss. They'll, this, is, this is what's really disturbing about men. And I've shared this with my wife. Like sometimes I forget the names of my own children. But if you tell me like this gorgeous girl who I passed up like 20 years ago, who I could have made out with, I'm like, it was 1998, (laughs) August 12th. It was moist weather. Like the temperature was 62. My wife's like, what the F? How do you know all this stuff? So I feel like, well, for me, I'll just be personal. Like, of course, you remember it. It's so formative. Uh, Hopefully it's a positive memory. But even if there's a negative memory, you've seen how that first love can really shape and form your aspect of masculinity and manhood. And Mm. like, it can really F you up or it can give you the type of confidence where you look back and say, Oh, Hey, you know, that was a good experience. I learned from it. So I I think it's very formative for most folks, especially for me. It was bill first loves. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think it depends on what you're talking about. I think every relationship, you know, they all, they, they, they all inform your uh, trajectory through uh, your romantic uh, uh, arc, you know? And like every relationship is a response to the last one in a way. And I don't know what, when you say the first relationship, I mean, that's a, a question of definition, right? Was it the first kiss? Was it your first crush? Was it mm. that girl that, that, you know, when you were five years old, you realized what girls were? Right, right, or right. was it, you know, the girl you took to the prom, right? Or was it the first girl that you uh, lived with or the first girl that broke your heart? Yeah. Mm. You know, but I don't think about any of those nearly as much as the last one, which uh, tried uh, to destroy my life and came very close. I'm more focused <laughs> on the last one than the first. <laughs> First one these days. That's much more formative on a daily psychology. Um, I sense but I can't get into I it now a, because that's not the topic. I have a sense Bill is a divorcee, is what I'm uh, is what I'm Worse gathering. than divorcee. I tried to a divor- avoid divorce by not getting married, and I ended up in the same problem anyway. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I, I, mean, I think Bill's uh, Bill Bill should do another podcast no. called Last Love. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> I mean, so, the last part, love. so one of the interesting things we, we learned by reading this piece is that so part of the reason why all these things are so memorable, while you remember the moistness in the air watch um, beca- when you saw that hot lady was because <laughs> the, the pathway in the brain. Um, where love, where this kind of first love stuff is, is not where the emotions are. This pathway is is right next to the factory that orchestrates your drive for hunger, for thirst, the drive for shelter, the drive to learn, the mm. drive to create, and the evolutionary driven need to send your DNA into tomorrow, as the article put it. And so it is like um, there's also it, they found that the it's it it's in the addiction center of the brain. Um, so where you where you fall in love, love with someone, you're actually like addicted to them. Is that a surprise to anybody? No, mm. but I, I mm. the surprise to me is that there's science that backs it. Like it does feel like an addiction in the beginning. Like when you're in those in the heyday, those early days of love or whatever, which I also want to say we could categorize as lust. A lot of this shit, I think we could categorize as lust. But but, but it's also about. like you said, like it, that science has been out there for a while, and they said the 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 feeling is of that first love, that crush, when that first week or two weeks, when you're just so into a person, it's like it's better than cocaine. And I haven't done cocaine yet, but I'm assuming they're saying <laughs> it's like it's 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 like a drug. It's like a drug hit. It's like the euphoric hit you get from the best drug. It's better than that. Well, it's it's the it's it's the only addiction that you're born with. Even before mm. you try it, you're addicted to it. 
Mm. You know, and by the time you get your first taste of it, like it just doubles the addiction that you're already, it just unleashes that addiction. You are wired for that. And what's yeah. interesting, actually, that the piece brought up was that a lot of people that wrote into The Guardian about this talked about like not ever not being able to overcome their first love mm. um they got a lot of people writing in that were in their 60s and their 70s who felt like they could never fully love again after their first love and so they'll have a story from when they were like 17 or 18 and and they and they're like 70 and they still can't kind of like feel that same way um and and the reason for that is that like a failed first love is a form of trauma, according mm. to scientists, um, according to to psychologists. Um, did that? I mean, this is not how I feel about my first lusts and loves. Um, but did any of that ring true for you, Bill? That like there's I like a like the, a trauma the, feeling around it. What makes the it? first the first ones uh -huh. stand out? and be formative and be special is that you were so innocent. Mm -hmm. You had no yeah. idea what was coming. Yeah. You didn't know the brick wall that you were going to smash into at a thousand <laughs> miles per hour, you know? So you went, you yeah. go into it full force, right? You're, you're like with open arms, what could go wrong? This is the best thing in the world. But after you get crushed a few times, you know, you're not, a, you're, you're not as quick to, mm. uh, uh, to fall in, or even if you do, you know, the, what the what the risks are and knowing the risks emotionally changes the whole experience you know mm. you're not going into it with that same uh uh blind spot or that right. same clean slate you know the chances are there's some sort of uh uh, uh, landmine that chances are you will step into at some point. And uh, it makes you a little bit, uh, uh, it makes you second, sec second, second guess going full force into uh, anything ever again. And your first one, you didn't have that hesitance at all. Mm. Well, and it's interesting that you mentioned that the innocence in part of that, again, according to these neurobiologists, is that our strongest and sharpest memories from lifetime form between the ages of 10 and 30 with a peak at age 15. Mm. So we're a lot of these stories are coming around that peak um, and they're coming, they're happening in this 10 to 30 age range where we're forming the strongest memories. So, you know, you're, you're right, Bill, that we are innocent and we're also forming the strongest memories at go. that time. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think, I mean, one thing that, that I feel about my, the, you know, what's I think interesting to me about all of the first love feelings is as like, I had so many insecurities as an adolescent and as a teen. The fact that like a guy made out with me brought me out a lot of, of those insecurities where I was like, oh my mm. God, I am fuckable. And it felt like, you know, it just felt like, oh my God, the world is my oyster. <laughs> I'm gonna go out and fuck everyone I see. Like it was so, the feeling, it was like a triumph. Like it felt, it's funny because I almost had the, the opposite of the trauma that these people are talking about where it was like failed first love. I was just like, oh, no, I can achieve this. That's awesome. Let me go like achieve you. it again. I, no, yeah. I, mine was the same way. And again, is that so much of it, you know, growing up was this fascination with this opposite sex. I didn't know how to talk to them. I was shy, wore husky pants. I was sick. And then, like, it took me a long time to realize that, oh, like, these women really liked me. Right. And like and they like my personality and they're into me. And then and then I think. Talking about shaping and forming, right? Those two words keep coming up and how it could be a source of joy or trauma. Yeah. Uh, I've been very lucky because with my relationship with women, right? The 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 previous uh, you know girlfriends or the women's I talked to, it gave me, I think what's what's kept protecting me from going like down to the bitter, angry, like Andrew Tate fans is that the women in my life always help me. And we're always a source of joy and comfort and like protection, right? So it's one of those situations where if if I had a traumatic experience and like my first three girlfriends crushed my heart, I think I'd be a much different person right now, right? Yeah, you'd be me. Be, yeah, you yeah, know, and yeah. That, that's why it's so important. Uh, folks, um, let me know 
how does your first love inform the rest of your life? <laughs> is it something you're still lamenting on? Um, and hit me up on all the social medias that uh, we shouldn't be on. All right. And that, my friends, is the end of the show. What a wonderful time I had speaking with both of you, despite the fact that you have more children than me. And obviously, your lives are more difficult. I'll, I'll lend them to you if that'll help you get them. We're, we're, um, we're just stronger and more resilient you're just, people. We're just stronger I mean, and more resilient people. And that's it. That's just what I need to learn. Um, <laughs> no, I love you guys. And I want the people of Fake the Nation to be able to follow you and all the wonderful things that you do. Bill Santiago, where do they do that? Uh, at Bill Santiago all over the place. Great. BillSantiagoComedy.com. Also look Apple, him up on Spotify if you Spotify, don't live in a, in a town where he's performing. Amazon, the book, Pardon My Spanglish, all that stuff. Uh, bookshop.org. <laughs> wherever <laughs> wherever like you want to get you your book. You know what I mean? Try and do it from an independent bookseller. I'm just saying. Uh, Wajahat Ali, where do they do it? Uh, well, there was this health site called Twitter, which is now called X. <laughs> uh, and on X, uh, I'm at Wajahat Ali until that site shuts down. I'm also on threads and Instagram at, at Insta Wajahat. Um, and yeah, I just wrote a book. Uh, the paperback came out this year called Go Back to Where You Came From and other helpful recommendations on how to become American. Uh, oh, my God. Do yourself a favor and read his book. Um, follow him on defunct and non-defunct social media platforms. <laughs> um, uh, he's just a, a, such a breath of fresh air. Um, and folks, you know what I where to find me, but I just want to let people know that if you are in New York City on Friday night at Caveat, we'll be doing Wait, Wait's Casual Fridays. Um, so wait, wait, don't tell me he's doing just like a loosey-goosey version of the show in New York City at Caveat on Friday. I believe there's some t- tickets left. That's a nice place, that Caveat. Oh, it's so delightful. Um, I've, I've done, I've performed there a lot and I always love it. Um, so come out um, to Caveat on the Lower East Side and enjoy a, a fun version. I'm going to be hosting. Some of your favorite panelists are going to be panelisting. It's going to be a fun show. Um, and also, I will be in the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me stand-up tour in St. Paul on August 18th, in Kansas City on August 19th. So definitely come out and see us in those two cities. It's going to be so fun. Um, and I will also be doing Wait, Wait in Chicago on August 24th. And there may be more news on that, but that's that um, looks like that's happening. So, you know... So many opportunities to engage specifically in the way way diverse. Um, also, um, don't forget to check out my my piece. Everything sucks, but everything is fine. Um, in <laughs> Progressive magazine, um, which uh, I don't even normally like promote this column very much, but I do feel like um, this one I I want more people to check out just uh, because I feel we can all feel better. Um, I want some of that cotton candy. (laughs) Yeah, there it is. Um, And I would love to uh, thank everyone who makes the show a possibility. That's our wonderful producer, Andrew McGuire. Thank you to everyone at HeadGum. That's right. Applause. Um, thank you to everyone at HeadGum who makes the show a possibility. Thank you to Gabby Alter who wrote our theme music. You can reach us at fake the nation Podcast at gmail.com with any ideas you might have about the show or many, any ideas you have about recap shows. And we will be back in your earballs next week. That was a headgum podcast.